This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. My name is Phil Shea. I am writing for makeaskilljack.com, and you can find more writing by me at hittingajack.com. Steve? My name is Steve Rose, and you can find more about me at steverosephd.com, where I write about mental health and addiction. All right, so today we have Jack Pierce, who is a published author who has his own podcast. Um, he wanted me to mention that at the beginning here. It's Terror Tracks with an X. And in that podcast, he talks about his experience publishing in the first half of the episodes. And in the second half of the episodes, he has an audiobook that progressively works through his older works. So you can get a, a sense of what he is about. Um, <clears throat> this particular episode is a bit confusing because uh, ostensibly we wanted to talk about self-publishing, but you'll see that gets derailed very quickly. Uh, we do kind of talk about it a fair bit, and I don't think what he says is... Um, it is accurate, but it's more... He just doesn't like the label of self-published, but we, we talk a lot about how one can self-publish, so we're sticking with that, <laughs> that same label. Final note is that Steve has to cut out at the end because he has a hard cutoff because that's what happens when you record on your lunch breaks. Anyway, thanks for listening and uh, hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Concepts Podcast. Welcome. Today is another guest episode. We have Jack Pierce coming on. Jack, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Jack Pierce. I'm the author of Under a Morning Star, The Suicide Diaries, and about 10 other books at this point. And um, I'm also the host of the Terror Tracks podcast. Nice. And uh, all those books were self-published, right? No, they were all traditionally published. Oh, really? I, wow, damn. Then we're talking about the wrong topic, maybe. But <laughs> today we're talking about self-publishing. So I guess we can get your perspective on that. So I'm just going to say what the difference is between uh, self-publishing and traditional publishing. Traditional publishing, in that situation, the publisher bears all the costs and risks of publication, but they also retain most of the profit if the book is successful. So they're kind of taking a risk on you. And self-publishing is the opposite, where the author bears all risks and costs, and they earn a higher share, of course. Sorry, I thought we were talking about uh, your self-publishing here, but I guess uh, I, I was mistaken there. Have you self-published at all? No, 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 it's fine, actually, because that's sort of a... The technical term would be I'm traditionally published because, you know, I work with a publisher, but at the same time, I own a part of the, you know, company, basically. Well, that's how it started out, as I bought into the company, because it was like a, you know, a small press that was local and you know they were trying to do some startup stuff and they had a few authors but you know i just went and just said you know what i just want a third of this company since i already knew the people anyway and they gave me a price and i bought in and that was it that's how the whole phoenix thing started before i left and did my own company so i guess you could say self-published now even though there's an entire corporation with you know people that work with me you know employees and stuff behind it but the original run of everything was with a you know quote-unquote traditional publisher right so it sounds like you're working with a, a small house publisher right now, like a more of an independent uh, publisher, is that how you'd characterize it? Yeah, that's what I, that's that's how I started out. But then I ended up leaving that company and starting my own. Okay, so do you find that working on the publishing side has helped you as a writer? Like, what kind of insights do you find you've gleaned from that? I've kind of learned that you're probably a lot better off just self-publishing or doing what I do and just owning the company and. You know, hiring freelancers or hiring employees to deal with what you have to do. I mean, of course, you know, I have to deal with lawyers and my CPA and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I do all the agenting stuff myself, you know, the podcast appearances, I deal with all that. But, 
you know, and you have cover designers and all that stuff. So you have employees, but the thing with self-publish, I don't like that term because, you know, it's like... It's got a stink to it, right? It sounds like someone just threw something up on Wattpad and that was it. Like there was nobody else involved with it. When I hear self, I think, you know, amateurish, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's stigmas around it for sure. I actually had a friend and I was living in China and there's a lot of writers there because they're teaching English. People are there because they, they like writing in English. So one of the guys I met, he said he wanted to be a, an author and that he was constantly writing, but he wouldn't put his work anywhere because he said that self-publishing it anywhere or putting it anywhere for free shows that you don't have faith in your own work and that publishers won't even look at you then. What do you think about that? I think that's just a crock because, you know, there are plenty of people that get, I mean, not plenty of, but, you know, there are people that go on Wattpad and their story gets really big and they end up, you know, getting picked up by a traditional publisher. That's happened before. I don't really, you know, follow that. I just joined Wattpad because I wanted to actually do more of a, um, cause I've already made my money basically. Right. And I'm just tired of the, the nonsense that comes with trying to sell a book. You know, I just say, you know what? I've made my money. I'm doing my podcast now. I'm happy just doing that. You know, I'll just throw the books out there, you know, and I'll just do like a Patreon model versus, you know, trying to, you know, sell them copy by copy, which is just, you know, I'm, I'm already getting a headache thinking about it. So. <laughs> So you made your money in uh, working with uh, traditional publishers? No, I made it all on my own. Actually, I got robbed by the traditional publisher. Can you tell us about that that kind of uh, transition, what your experience was in the traditional publishing realm? Yeah, I want to hear about the robbing, but I also want to hear about the success because like, both those are great stories. Well, we can just jump right into that. The big problem was, you know, I owned a third of the company, but I was doing 100% of the work almost. You know, I was the one dealing with the... The cover designers and the, you know, the different, I've dealt with all the people that, you know, make the book come to market. You know, all they did was kind of sit back and take their fat cut. Well, you know, I didn't, they never told me how many books I sold. You know, that's, oh, you hit number one this week. I'm like, all right, that's, you know, that's great or whatever. But, you know, I didn't know the numbers really. And then I finally realized what the numbers were and found out that I wasn't making as much as I Yeah, as much as you'd hoped. I was getting screwed basically. You know, really big because Under Morning Star sold over 20,000 copies. So what, what is the kind of cut on something like that? Not, I mean, for say self-publishing versus traditional publishing is like the traditional publisher taking like what, 90%? Yeah. Like I was supposed to be, they said they were going to pay me 20%, but then I ended up getting like eight. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of like record deals with musicians. I feel like they, they assume that anybody that's a creative type doesn't know enough about business. And so they're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. We'll give you this advance. But then like you end up making almost nothing and are kind of a slave to them. Was it kind of similar for the book publishing area? I think the problem was I was so busy trying to chase all these other people down that I wasn't paying attention to the, the actual numbers. Cause you know, they were, you know, I was getting the checks and they weren't very big, but I was figuring, well, you know, we'll eventually, you know, it'll pick up at some point. And then it turned out they were taking most of the money and I wasn't seeing it anyway, but right. what it ended up doing at the very end, which they're still pissed off about, I'm sorry if you can't swear on here, but this is the only word I could use to... No, go for it. Anyway, what really made them mad on the exit was I basically went behind their back and bought out all the rights, you know, from copyright.gov <laughs> without telling them. Wow. You know, because apparently they forgot that they thought that, you know, Penman's copyright was a thing. Well, it ain't. Is that a historical thing? I actually wasn't, I'm not familiar with that. The Penman's copyright thing is just, I would say it's a myth, honestly. It is a 
myth that is spread by, you know, people that don't know what they're talking about, where they try to say, oh, well, I wrote this story, therefore, you know, it's legally protected because I wrote it, you know, and I don't need to go register it anywhere. It's just I'm like, yeah, I could go grab Stephen King's It and change all the characters' names, but keep everything the same and say, I wrote this, you know, where's my royalties, you know? No, there's a reason that there's a copyright.gov. There's a reason that there's a form you fill out to copyright your book because that's how you copyright stuff. You know, it sort of reminds me a lot if you see like in the art community, because I'm not an artist, but I know that they have that thing called the, you know, the original character called the OC where you have like, you know, they'll usually take, I hate to bring this guy up. God, he's the only one I can think of right now that I'm so sorry if your listeners get mad at this. The only person I can explain this with is probably Christian because, you know, he thought the Sonic shit, like he mixed a Pikachu and a Sonic the Hedgehog and thought it was his own character. So it was the name sounded vaguely familiar. This is like what, 4chan kind of guy? Yeah, yeah, sort of like that. But like, you know, he was a guy that was like famous all over the internet for just all sorts of stuff he did. And um, he just got arrested for something we can't talk about on the show, but because <laughs> it's very disgusting and off topic. But. Hey, it is kind of on topic because he was an author. He did publish his comic and thought it was real. You know, I thought it was a, a real story and people just whatever. Point is, he thought that because I took these two characters and mixed them together, it's my original character and I own the trademark and the copyright to it, which you don't. The point is you... You need to copyright your work, period, because what is stopping a studio from coming to you, you know, finding your book on Wattpad and then stealing it, you know, and just saying, oh, we'll just run with it and do, like I said, you know, take Stephen King's head and change the character's name. That's it. You have to have paperwork because let's say you wanted to take Universal to court or whatever over the, you know, the copyright. Oh, they stole my story. What are you going to say? Oh, I wrote it. Here's the Google Doc where it was dated before they grabbed it or something. Like, you, you need you need paperwork. It costs 60 bucks. Get over it. I was going to be like, how much how much time and effort is this? Because I think people think to copyright something, you need a lawyer involved. No, no, no. I, I, I can literally go from, you know, to the copyright.gov, log in and be done with the book in like less than five minutes. It's like 60 bucks. Oh, that's that's not bad at all. The cheap version I've heard of for, for copyrights in this way is if you want like a government dated thing was to, uh, this was from the indie band Bible. They're talking about lyrics and songs and stuff. You could print them out, the music for it, mail it to yourself through the federal mail, and then it'll have a, a date stamped on it from the the government. But you can't open the letter and you can basically only use it once in court once. So your method sounds a lot better. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on this because I, I haven't ever done it, but they do say that you can actually copyright up to 10 works uh, for 60 bucks, but you have to do it before they're published, which, you know, I usually get the copyright right when they're published. So I kind of like, I never have 10 works at one time that I want to batch, you know? Yeah. You're just like, I, I've got five books done. I'm just going to wait until we got another five just to save 60 bucks. Yeah. Just to, just to fa- save 60 bucks. Cause who knows? Maybe I won't write another five books. So, you know, I, I think I total, I paid like say, um, around 700 bucks for everything for all the stuff, but you know, that's a lot of, you know, that's not nothing for the rights to your work that you worked on for three years. And, you know, to have the rights to it in case someone wants to buy it for any you know reason, whether they want to do a TV show, a movie, a video game, or, you know, do spinoffs or whatever you know where you get just anything you know because that's the thing is you need to copyright the stuff and not be cheap because you don't know what's going to happen with your story later i'm not saying you're going to end up being you know the next harry potter but you might you don't know you never know you know is it really worth gambling you know a billion dollars on a 60 dollar fee that you're too cheap to buy and you're doing all the work anyways here with this traditional publisher and so you saw like why do i even need them 
and you started figuring out how to do it yourself and getting your own copyright because you're already doing all the marketing yourself anyway. And so how did you transition from that into kind of making the money that you, you deserve here? I'm really not making any money off it now because the copies have already been bought. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, like once people bought your book, I mean, who's really going to buy your book? You know, it's just kind of. So you, you find that the sales kind of drop off and they're like long tail effect or anything going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's usually they say like the, the grace period is usually around the first 30 days, which I think is not true either. I've had, you know, Under Morning Star came out. I actually had to look it up last night because I'm just so scattered at times. It came out in July of 2018, and it went to number one in October of 2018. So that was, you know, long past 30 days. So, it, I mean, it did well. And, you know, I think 20,000 copies is nothing to scratch at. You know, it's not under a morning star. And the Suicide Diaries did even more, you know. And I was shocked by that. Like, that was something that just blew my mind that the Suicide Diaries sold one copy because I hated that book. <laughs> Why do you, you hated like the, the effort that had to go into it? Like you just weren't satisfied when it was done. What do you mean? No, because it's like, you know, if, I feel like the books that you really enjoy, the ones that no one cares about and the ones that you think are throwaways, like Condemned is another one that I don't understand why that went to number one either, because that was just a writing exercise to see if we could write a story that took place in one room and that somehow shot up. <laughs> I just, I just like, what, why don't y'all care about like the good stuff? You know, the stuff that I think is good. I mean, as long as it sells either way, I guess like, you can keep doing the stuff that you like. Like, uh, like Neil Gaiman, right? Like he just basically writes the stories he wants written at this point. So I, maybe at some point. <laughs> yeah, so you say number one, where was it? Was this Amazon? Yeah. On the entire site? That sounds massive. Well, I mean, in the horror charts, it wasn't like, you know, number one of all books ever because, you know, that would be insane. Yeah, I was going to say, like, oh, man, I, I, no offense, I haven't heard your name. <laughs> when you're competing against Stephen King and others, you know, that's still a big, you know, accomplishment. But the strange thing is Stephen King really isn't on the charts that much. Kind of crazy. You know, when you look at the horror charts, he's really not in the, even in the top 10 most of the time, I guess, unless he puts something out. But I mean, you know, like, he, like you don't see like The Shining and all this stuff, you know, being highly charted you know it's a lot of you know people that you never heard of which is great you know because people you know it gives people a, a shot at least you know getting there for sure do you have any uh favorite like contemporary author or horror writers the only one i can really think of there's two that i can three okay so there's three that i would say it's like my holy trinity of like modern horror people which is thomas harris who did all the you know hannibal lecter stuff he's great Clive barker who is uh the one that made hellraiser and Candyman and all of that so he's great and then um, Michael Crichton, who unfortunately died many years ago, but he wrote Jurassic Park and The Lost World and The Andromeda Strain, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, his name sounded very familiar. Yeah, so those three are like my top three horror authors, period. And Stephen King is in there, but I don't know. Steve, I've had one person say I was the second coming of Stephen King, and I almost slapped him just because I'm just like, I don't want to be the second coming of Stephen King. It's quite the compliment. Well, it's one of the things that people think is a compliment. It's like when somebody tells a singer that they sound exactly like star it's like you want to be unique it's nice that they're they're holding you in that steam it's not even that it's just i just don't enjoy stephen king's work and i don't like him as a person either i respect him as as what he's done he's a great author he's done great things you know and he's you know made the horror genre you know really commercially viable but he is such a prick on twitter oh god oh really what's his uh his deal i didn't i don't really follow him on twitter he is just a 
like the entire last four years, he did nothing but just whine and complain and just, you know, act like a fucking toddler. Sorry, I shouldn't have said. It's okay. Just keep going. About Trump, I'm just like, I don't even see. I'm not even a supporter or like, I'm not even like a big Trump guy either. But it's like, oh, my God, talk about something else. I mean, that's all he ever talked about. He got political. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. Trump did uh, suck up a lot of air. It's just like constant bitching. I'm just like, oh, my God, I don't care. I get it. You don't like the guy. Why don't you talk about something else? <laughs> talk within your expertise, please. We both have read a lot of books on writing. Do you have any favorite books on writing? Because I know Stephen King has a book literally called On Writing, yeah. which I found interesting. I think that's a terrible manual, too, honestly, because most of it is just anecdotes about bullshit of his life. It's just like an autobiography. That doesn't teach you nothing about writing unless it's like, you know, 400 pages into it or something. I mean, I've tried to look. Okay, hit us. Hit us with your best uh, writing book then. My best writing book is just stop reading writing books. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> just do a writing podcast instead. <laughs> Don't well, I would say don't do that either, but I write one. <laughs> um, I do one. No, it's just I, I don't teach people the technical stuff on writing. You know, I teach people about you know more or less just how to handle writing, like how to get down and do it, or do you mean like getting ideas? How, how to find inspiration? How to you know cultivate an idea? How to you know, the actual more practical stuff, because you've already, you already know all the technical stuff from English class. If you went to high school, you know about commas and punctuation and all that stuff. And if you don't, your editor will fix it anyway. So who cares? That's just boring. You know, that's boring stuff that you talk about on a podcast, that sort of thing. Cause people, I think, you know, I feel like anytime I listen to a writing podcast and I'm not trying to be elitist or anything, but I feel like they all tell you the same stuff and it's just, none of it's really helpful. Like no one's telling you, you know, something, you know, like the bad side of writing, you know, like the depression that happens with it or, you know, post book depression when you finish a book and you're just like, uh, just like you kind of feel you're kind of purposeless without a, a direction. eh? Yeah. You just lose all of that stuff. But everyone just kind of acts like it's all sunshine and roses when it's not, you know, I think it's like the whole thing about like reaching the summit. People always think that like they wish they could just be at the success point. But it's at that point, it's like, what, what do I do now? Right. Like is, you used to have this purpose and now it's like, what's next? Right. Right. Yeah, and I, I feel like sometimes I'm a little bit too negative about the publishing world. And I mean, I have the right to be because I got screwed and a bunch of other stuff. But I feel like people just are scared to pull back the curtain and just tell you the truth about the stuff. And anytime someone says you should write your scene or your book this way, you just turn them off. You know, unsubscribe from that person because you're not supposed to do that. One thing, and I've, I've done a many, you know, I've went on and on about this before on my own show is I really don't like booktubers like at all. I, I don't like well, not the, the reviewers they're fine but like the people that try to tell you cut out these 10 words from your noveling like clickbait like that and it's just yeah like I've, I've seen debates about like whether you should use the the verb said or not or whether you should use a lot of active speech verbs I, I other people on the other side are saying that the only people that use a ton of active speech verbs are um, people who's, who write young adult fiction if we're going to be on a technical level I think almost the best said and ask is all you should use you know, that's about the only technical advice I could give you because they're almost like invisible. Yeah, people skip them, right? To the reader. You know, they're not, you know, they pretty much skip over. They can kind of tell, all right, you know, who said that? And then, it's, you know, they'll move on. <laughs>
But if you're trying to write all this stuff like murmured and, you know, uh, pontificated and all this other stuff at the end of your quotation, it's annoying. Or uh, my favorite actually is from uh, it's in it's quite frequently in Sherlock Holmes is when Sherlock will say something um, outrageous or insightful or whatever. And then Watson will literally ejaculate <laughs> his phrases. That's the verb that I always think of when I'm making fun of speech verbs. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> Watson ejaculated. It's just, I guess he just can't hold it in. So that that's the verb that I decided to go for. <laughs> <laughs> I just think the I think the problem is that booktubers in general, or these people that try to teach you you know lessons on like YouTube, which is all about search engine and the algorithms and all this. The way YouTube works makes it where people that want to get big in booktube they create this stuff that's like clickbait, like like I said, like delete these ten words, or this is how you write a fight scene, and all this stuff, and or never say this, or never say this in your novel, and it's like, but you know, I, the thing that kind of hit me was I forgot who said it, but I think it was that I don't want to say her name. I'm not going to try to cause any drama i said it's probably best to skip that yeah yeah but anyway i saw the uh the girl she was talking about oh you gotta cut these words out of your novel and i went to a thrift store and i saw this book by tom clancy i don't know which one it was but it was like 1500 pages it was like huge it was, i mean you could kill someone with the thing all i remember was it was a blue cover with red writing it was i don't know if it was red storm rising or what but i opened the you know chapter one just to see how he wrote and every single rule she said he broke in the first page. All of them. All of them. Well, clearly he's a bad writer then. We should all stop reading him. Yes. Yeah, we should all stop. We should all just, you know, discount Tom Clancy and listen to the thought on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's kind of how a lot of these things go. They like to pretend they're experts. And that's the thing I'm, I'm kind of learning now is, like, I've, I've written for years in various fashions. And I'm looking at advice because I'm, I'm starting to do copywriting. And it's just funny because, like, some of the advice, I'm just like, like, this seems obvious or like this doesn't seem like it's true at all and it's like exactly what you're saying they're trying to be position themselves as experts when they don't actually it's probably irrelevant honestly all right this one's gonna this is gonna blow your mind actually because there's actually one booktuber that's really popular i'm not gonna say her name of course but she does like a whole thing about writing and everything and the thing is she has no books published whoa like none she's like one of the biggest ones and she has like you go to her website and she's written like 15 novels but none of them are published like like self-published nothing Thing. You cannot see you know anything she says because the reason I put my stuff on Wattpad is I'm like I'm teaching you how to write or I'm teaching you how to handle the publishing thing or just my general thoughts with dealing with the public over because I've done you know other stuff beyond writing you know the dealt with the public you know podcast and YouTube and stuff in the past you know I've dealt with difficult people before so you know I can kind of help people in that way but. The point is, she you go to her website and she had like 15 to 20 books and none of them were published. So you have nothing to reference if she's right or not. Because, you know, if you're here and all that, we'll cut out these 10 words and all that. You, you was like, OK, well, what does it sound like or look like when you cut out those 10 words? And there's nothing to reference. You have no point of reference. So you're like, OK, well, how does she avoid those words, but also write it where it doesn't seem like she avoided those 10 words, you know? And there's another one who was, you know, another one of those ones that was really big or whatever. And she had her advice was OK, I guess. Not great. But, you know, she was one of those that tried to tell you how, you have to write it this way for it to be popular. And then you go and look at her book, and it's a two-star book. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> okay, so uh, you keep mentioning what Wattpad, and I actually was not familiar. Is that is that something similar to like Substack, or like how does that work exactly? 
No, Webpad is, you know, it kind of gets a bad reputation because of, like, teen writers and stuff. But it's sort of like the YouTube for books is what they call it. It's sort of like, you know, you publish your story. It's sort of like fanfiction.net would be another one, I think. I don't read fanfiction or write it, so I don't have any expertise on that website. But it's sort of like that where you can just go on there and make your account and publish your stories or, you know, in different parts and people can follow you. Sort of like imagine Twitter, but for writers, kind of, you know, it's sort of like that. Long form Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And so what would you direct people? to do then if it's not like take out these 10 words and quick tips and all that what how would you guide someone in, in this process of uh of writing write what feels right Ooh, i love it if it sounds good to you you know you listen to it on the text-to-speech and it sounds smooth and it's not you know disrupting anything and you just, it just comes out well and you think it sounds good it's good a thing that ingve malmstein used to say all the time about you know playing guitar is like if it sounds good it's good that, that's all it is to it if it sounds good it's good right and so for a, a new writer who's quite intimidated by that loose structure is there something that they could do to to start in that kind of feeling that getting gaining that intuition developing their writer's ear i guess yes the intuition side there just write you know write what you enjoy don't try to write to market i've done that before and it just sunk you know and sunk like the titanic it doesn't work readers aren't stupid they really understand when you're trying to pander to them they know they get it you know and they will call you out for it when you do do that right whatever you want you know just, just stop worrying about rules and conventions and having to do it this way and you have to do this topic and this sort of where you got to avoid this sort of thing blah 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 just just write it write whatever comes out because to me i don't plot i do the pantsing thing like stephen king says you know you just start a book and you just see where it goes and if it you know, once you're done, you read it and if you don't like the way it went, you know, you can scrap it or rewrite it or, you know, change, you know, cut out sections and rewrite that or whatever. You know, your first draft is your vomit draft. It's not, you know, going to come out perfect. What would they say? Like, you know, we have to love our ugly children or something. What was that I saw? Like talking about like the first draft was like your ugly child and you just like you eventually get them pretty somehow. I forgot. It was something I saw in some really pretentious writing video about a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> The metaphor I always use is like the first draft is just like dredging up the clay from the riverbed and then your editing is the actual like adding form to it and making it presentable. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of this quote that's often attributed to Hemingway, whether he said it or not. Uh, the right drunk edit sober quote. Have you ever heard that one? He also said the first draft of anything is shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that's the thing that like what's strange about writing for a lot of people that gives them probably writer's block is that they're afraid they're not going to measure up to the the ideal they have in their head. I mean, obviously, when you first write something, people keep like editing it when you're going. It's like that. Just puke it up, man, and, and work with it as you go. It's just giving you material. How do you tend to get around this? Is that like you said, like you just kind of sit down and write without looking back or like how, how do you? keep the momentum i have two tips for this and they're both very negative sounding but they work <laughs> <laughs> number one is just write crap it doesn't matter what it is it could literally be your like grocery list just write something down just write garbage you can delete it later but you know it's sort of like you, know, you just have to get through over that hump other one is write like no one's gonna read it because no one probably will <laughs> that's terrible but it's true though it is true like you know Stephen Pressfield I think of the same sort of thing where he was saying um, nobody wants to read your shit I think he has a book called that which is exactly in this line like it's like good ideas right like you have to try to convince people to adopt them or to take a look at it or like 
people saying they, they don't want to work out because they're afraid of getting too big. It's like these things don't happen by accident. So don't worry about it too much. Just focus on doing the work, the work you need to do. So related to that. So let's say someone does get past their, their mental uh, blocks and they actually just write something. It probably won't be read by anyone unless you, you do an effective job at marketing. And you were able to market yourself to be a number one on Amazon, actually beating Stephen King at times in, in his own category. <laughs> how did you do it? I think everyone would like to know, how did you do it? Yeah, that is true. We, we haven't really narrowed down on that enough. We, we both really want to know. <laughs> we do want to know. <laughs> well, newsletters are a great thing, and BookBub will shoot you straight to the moon if you can get with them, and they're very expensive. What's it called? BookBub, B-O-O-K-B-U-B. I think I remember that. So I published, I self-published uh, two uh, short books on Kindle Direct Publishing. And I remember this uh, as being a, a popular thing that if you can get into it, they shoot you out to a whole bunch of like lists like they have a giant email list and then it just directs a bunch of traffic to your discounted book and then the sales shoot right up is that kind of the process there yeah yeah you just go to these different companies that have newsletters like bargain booksy is another one you can look them up there's like a hundred of them you know free booksy bargain booksy uh, fussy librarians another one i didn't have any much i have a write-up somewhere where i actually showed my results but you know i can't remember all of them i mean if you want to share that we'd love to link that in the show notes for sure yeah i can and actually, it's actually just a Google Doc where I think I just typed it all up, you know, right when we did one blitz or whatever they got under start a you know, not number one, but it got up like to number 90, I think, when we did it. And it cost us a pretty penny. But we never got with BookBub because BookBub was just like, good luck. <laughs> if you get in there, though, I hope your wallet's deep, too, because it's going to cost over a grand to get in here, you know, to get them to do it. But they shoot it to over a million people. No way. And so then I'm guessing that, like, it's worthwhile because by having that sales velocity on, on Amazon, it's going to shoot you to the top and people are going to see it more often and self-reinforce, right? Yeah, I think someone said that if they put their book on, like the free category because like the you know the the book bub's pricing is kind of like the free is like the cheapest way of like if you put your book free and get book bub to promote it's like the cheapest price or whatever <laughs> and then once it starts getting a good sales velocity you you add uh, some sort of fee i assume like you change the the cost yeah, I think the idea is you would hope that it'll eventually get big enough where people will buy your other stuff. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad idea. It probably would happen. I was going to say that there's a book called Write, Publish, Repeat, and they one of their strategies was oh, love that to make a series of books. I think they have one. They have two that were ridiculous. One was set in like the the wild wild west era, but because they didn't want to have to be historically accurate, they made it so that the horses are actually unicorns. So any historical inaccuracy, they, they just act and function as horses, I believe, but. Because they have that, they're like, if you, if there's any inaccuracy, they're like, well, we're riding on unicorns. What do you expect? The other one was a fat vampire. They had like a f series of five and they give away the first maybe one or two for free and then sell the bundle for a, a deal and a number of like little sales tactics like these. Yeah, I never really did that, but I mean, I know, I know that that's a common thing and that probably works for some folks. So I'm not going to discount that at all, but. <laughs> Um, what I was saying with the whole book bub thing is like, you know, I've heard of people doing like, you know, the free category where, you know, they give their book away and pay the 800 or whatever to uh, get a shot out to a million people. And they end up with like 40,000 downloads. That's 40,000 new readers if they do read it and don't just hoard it and ignore it. But, you know, that's 40,000 people, you know, that now have your book on their Kindle regardless. You know, that's a lot. I think that's actually worth it a lot more. You're probably better off just doing it free. One of them free with book bub. Take the you know, the eat the cost of whatever it costs to do that if they let you in. And, you know, that will help you, 
you know, get a name for yourself, like a bit much bigger name than me, because, you know, I think all my books together, like all 11 of them have sold around 50,000 or more since 2018. But, you know, you could do that with one book in one shot. I mean, that's a lot bigger than I could have ever done or ever will do probably. Like I've always heard that when you try to sell your book on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, you're shouting in a stadium, which is true. You know, that's what you're really doing. You're holding up a sign and screaming in a stadium, hoping someone sees it. And, you know, I've had so much money just go down the drain when it comes to Facebook and YouTube. And oh, the returns are terrible for like anything. Yeah, YouTube's probably better. Not YouTube, not YouTube. With regular ads like on social media and stuff, you just lose your ass. I mean, it's it's crazy, you know, because if you think about it, when's the last time you were looking at your Twitter or your Facebook or whatever site you use and you just were like, I need to buy that book? (laughs) (laughs) I mainly use ad blockers, so I don't even see them. And I think that's probably becoming more and more common. Yeah, exactly. That's why I think the newsletters are a lot better because you just pay that fee, the 25, 50, 80, whatever, you know, amount. And they shoot it out to people that are looking for books to read. Yes. You know, that they're, you're sending it to people that are directly looking for this. Not just like random people on the street. Take this book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you're saying something that uh, Phil and I both know very well in, uh, in, in the marketing, uh, not, not so much marketing books, but we're, we're developing uh, online products. Mine more in, in mental health and addiction, Phil's and more in, uh, in games, in the games niche. And, and email marketing is, is really where it's at. If you pay for social media ads, as you said, you're just going to lose all your money. And getting your own email list and owning that email list is, is, is super powerful. But what you're referring to is not even having to build your own email list necessarily. It's getting your book on these already established lists. I think building an email list for yourself is not a bad idea. I would never say don't do it. <laughs> but I think that building an email list is should be a passive thing. You should not try to actively build your list because that is just going to drive you crazy and you're never going to write another book. Yeah, You're going to spend all your time chasing that dragon and you're not going to get it. Because this is sort of the same thing, you know, with people that try to like, because your email list is nothing different than trying to get big on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, YouTube or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like you're you're chasing subscribers and not working on the product that would make the people come to you naturally. Anything in your marketing that is losing money, that is not going to some sort of benefit, needs to be reallocated somewhere else. And what's the point of me sitting here, you know, 40 hours a week trying, you know, just toiling and driving, pulling my hair out because I didn't meet certain goals on an email list versus saying, hey, here's 25 bucks. Throw me up to your 25,000 readers. Yes. For writers, that makes a lot of sense because if you don't want to just focus so much on all the marketing side of it, that saves you a lot of time. I think if you want to build your email list, the best way to do it is just when you do the whole marketing for your book with other email lists, just put a link in your book, like in the, in the acknowledgments or like the beginning of the book saying, sign up for my email list here. And just let it roll from there. I don't have an email list, but I need to try to do that one day. But <laughs> almost like debating if I ever want to write another book after all the headache I've been through or just, you know, let what I've done just stand as its own, you know. But then again, I just released something about a month ago, so I'm still burnt out. You don't find it like a compulsion? Because I feel like a lot of writers, they, they say that after all the hassle of doing it, but then they somehow continue to write books. <laughs> after five novels, five novellas and one short story in three years, I think I'm done. For now, at least. Whoa. Yeah, that's quite a bit. That's a lot. And, and so we talked a lot about self-publishing in, in terms of the process of writing. We talked about a little bit of the marketing process. But I, I think uh, the platforms that do, 
someone would use. Would you maybe talk a little bit more about your thoughts on Kindle Direct Publishing? It's the one that I've used a couple of times. I find it very streamlined and simple. Would you recommend Kindle Direct Publishing to people? Well, I'm actually going to be a hypocrite here because we're actually expanding to Wattpad. And um, that's mainly because I'm just tired of selling the book. I just want to give them away. And especially during this season, it's like every, you know, not Halloween. Halloween's our biggest season, of course, to, you know, make money off the things because horror. But, you know, after that, I usually give away all the books, you know, in November and December because I just feel like we've had so much. I'm not going to go into a long speech, but we had so much, you know, financial trouble when it came to COVID and all this stuff in the last two years. You know, if me throwing out a book that cost me nothing to give it away, you know, for a couple months to help people forget about COVID and being broke or about to be homeless and all that, that'd be, you know, that's what I want to do is, you know, oh, I got into this because I wanted to entertain people. I didn't think I was going to become rich or Stephen King or anything. I thought that was, you're better off just trying to become a YouTuber, but I did it because I wanted to entertain folks and I enjoyed writing this stuff. But at this point, I just kind of, Amazon won't let you give it away, but what paid will. So that's why I'm going over there. You know, they won't let you just give a book away unless you do go through a bunch of hoops and everything. And I just don't think it's worth it. What kind of hoops do they make you do for free stuff? You'd have to get out of KDP Select entirely. Right. And then you would have to go publish it somewhere else. And then you have to email Amazon and tell them that it's free on Smashwords or something. And then they'll price match it or something. And then I don't know. That's nonsense. Just put it on Wattpad and just get it. Just, yeah. Just be done with it if you want it to be free. That's what I'm, I'm doing now. The thing is, I'd rather have my books be read than sold because I don't make enough to go through the headache of selling the book. The market, you know what marketing is like. It's just makes you tear your hair out. You're looking at the numbers and you're constantly going in the red and then you see a spike and then you're back down into the red and lost all that money. And it's like, just screw it. Just read the book or don't. I mean, that's just at this point, I don't want any barriers there. I'm sick of having to deal with the ad companies, the newsletters having to, you know, throw all this money at something and never making it back or, you know, oh, I got you know, another couple thousand readers, but how much did that cost me? I didn't make nothing back from that campaign. You know, I lost money on this campaign. It's just, ugh, I just hate marketing, man. It's very painful because it feels like it's nickel and diming you, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like you just keep losing money, losing money and gaining readers. But then like, it's like, well, well, I can't eat. So it's, I'm glad I got readers. <laughs> I can't eat. Yeah. I'm glad I got readers that aren't, you know, paying the bills. I guess you would probably say that operating without an agent is probably fine nowadays. Is there any like extra work you feel you have to do that you otherwise wouldn't? Isn't the main point of an agent just for them to get your book into a, a traditional publisher's hands? They don't really do anything else, do they? I'm not. I guess, well, I guess they're supposed to filter stuff and like, I think a good agent will give you feedback on like what publishers or readers want these days. But I guess kind of like stockbrokers they don't necessarily know what they're talking about yeah i don't mess with agents or anything i'm not saying that there's something wrong with messing with one but i think that's more of a you're trying to get in with like penguin random house or someone like that sort of thing. that's when you would need an agent but i just don't think that that's something necessary for my work okay let me rephrase this in a different way let's say you're completely unknown you have no books published and you have one manuscript ready to go you've you've edited a bunch of times you're confident what are your steps to getting this some traction getting somewhere you have to start all over again. 
I would do exactly what I did the first time because I think I did uh, minus the stuff that I did wrong, really, because, you know, I would just tell people do not view, do social media ads. I don't care what Reddit said. There's literally there's nothing good that can come of throwing money at Facebook and Twitter ads. They're just a money pit. They've never, you know, turned a profit with the book, at least. What you need to do is write because you love it. You know, and then share your work with a community that loves that type of work and then use the newsletters because they're looking for books to read. You know, if you're just sort of like, here's a great analogy I can put it as like, you know, when you do it on Twitter, you're basically going up to random people on the street. It's saying, hey, would you like to buy my book for 20 bucks? You know, just random people that you don't know if they're interested in books or not. And 99.9% of them will just look at you like you're crazy or just ignore you or just this background noise to them versus people who are all outside of the, you know, in the bookstore looking for something to read. So I guess the advice is avoid social media, write what you think is good, put it in a place where people of that, that area like it, and then also use the the email platforms such as like BookBub and stuff like that. If you can get in, in that. Yeah. I think that's the best, that's the best way you could do it. Yeah. Save enough money that you can afford those, those lists, I guess, based on what you're saying, I, I gather that you pay per conversion through those lists or is it paid for the amount of people they send it to? How does that work? The second one, how many they send it to. Okay. So if everyone ignores it, you're still paying. Oh, interesting. That's good to know. I've been through that exact process. I've, I've used one of those lists in the past at a, at a discount. Uh, and yeah, I could see the difficulty in trying to turn a profit in publishing. It's just very, very difficult. And so I guess I kind of went away from, from doing eBooks and, and kind of focusing on uh, putting free articles on the website, which ranks in Google. And then you get Google traffic, which can funnel to an email list, which you can then pitch digital products from. So can anyone make money in the ebook uh, business right now? I know in 2015, there was a bit of a spike, but right now in, in, in current 2021. Yeah, I'm curious what Jack thinks about that. No. No, really? <laughs> no. So you think it's just physical books, like ebooks or just... Uh... Nope, not that either. So then what's the leftover? Nothing. You're make no nobody who writes can make money. Don't don't write then. <laughs> don't write to make money. Don't write as a motive to make. Okay, got it. Don't write to make money. It's just you're you're wasting your time because I'm gonna. I've told people on the podcast, and this is 100 percent true. Reading is well, it was huge back like you know before television and stuff because there was nothing else basically. Unless it's really smutty romance, you're not gonna get really big money right now. You know, unless you're with the Money, the only two genres I could think of that could turn a profit are romance and politics. Those are the only two things that will make you any amount of money right now. How are you finding your success on uh, Audible? Because I actually got one of your books on Audible when I was preparing for this <laughs> this interview. Audible is actually really good. They actually pay you something decent, I think. Because this is what I was going to say. I, I always sort of like do, like do this idea of like attention scale is I guess what you could call it. I've never had a name for this, but... The idea is the easier something is to consume, the more people will consume it. Yeah, for sure. You know, with reading, you're you're having to look at a page with words on it and having to read it. And just, you know, that's that's the heaviest way to consume something. You know what I mean? Because like you have to actively read the page to get, you know, undiverted attention, just solely this one activity. Yeah, exactly. And then you have the stuff, it sort of goes like, I guess, to like video games, because you still have to do input, but you can, you know, kind of just walk around and just chill out. You know, so video games will be, you know, slightly less engaging than you would with the book, attention wise. And then you get into uh, movies, YouTube, all of that. You can watch or you can listen in the background, but, you know, there's a visual element, so you're still engaged one way or another, attention wise. 
And then you have podcasts, which is absolutely like the lowest, I would think, because you can just put you, most people listen to a podcast when they're driving. So they wouldn't be, you know, really, I doubt they'd be focusing on the podcast words, like every single word of the podcaster is saying. Oh, no, our listeners definitely do hang on every <laughs> single word are the smartest, most engaged listeners, of course. Also, this seems like a great pitch for Audible. Uh, do they? Oh, you're going to get so much hate mail for this episode. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, our first hate mail. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. But actually, I, I was tempted to be like, and that's why we choose Audible. Please sign up with our code today. We don't actually have a code, but <laughs> it would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Audible, though. Audible really takes the best of podcasting and you know the best of books so that's what i love about audible is you can write but then it also gives people the easiest way to consume it you know so yeah i'm actually curious when you get with them i assume you have to have your audio your book in audio form already so like how did you go no. about you don't they, they give you a narrator yeah oh what Interesting. How does that work? Do you, like, do you have to pay up front or is it just on the back end? No, no, you don't even have to pay at all, really. You know, it's sort of like you have different levels of how you deal with this, but Audible isn't where you go. You go to a site called ACX. I don't know what it stands for, but it's A, you know, Alpha Charlie X-Ray is what it would be. ACX.com. You go there and you upload your book. You know, I think usually though you, you'll pick it out from your Kindle thing. So you've already put it on Amazon anyway. So you put it on Amazon and then you say, all right, this is my book. You know, you search for book you find it claim this book okay and then you say i want to make this an audio book so they go through like the little setup and everything it's not hard it doesn't take long at all and then you say there's two options rather i already have the audio so if you recorded it yourself or you had some you know one else do it professionally outside of acx you can upload it yourself or you can say i need a narrator i can't remember the exact wording of this but you'll see it when you try but when you do the thing but it'll have you an option to, um, that you need a narrator. So what you can do is you'll post it and narrators will come to you and they'll do an audition. That's usually five minutes, like the first, you know, three pages of what it actually is. So they'll read the first three pages and you, you'll have a ton of, you know, narrators and you just pick who you want to be your narrator. Then you cut them a deal. The deal is you can pay them per hour, which is usually 100 to $200 an hour per finished hour is what they call it. So if your book, audio book's going to be eight hours, you'd pay, you know, thousand bucks or so. Or you can do a royalty share where they will, you know, make money off of your book in perpetuity, basically. Like, uh, you don't pay them anything up front, but they will make money when you make money, more or less. So it's a risk for them. But at the same time, if you shoot up and be the next Stephen King, you know, it's an investment for them versus, you know, making a thousand up front. So a lot of readers really like that royalty share, because if you think about it, if you do a bunch of audio books, you're constantly having like a small stream or even a big stream of income that you get forever. Like you, you never nice passive income there. Yeah. So you never lose that. You know, you're always getting it. Do you know what the cut is typically for them? Like what, what are they earning for book? They screw you so hard on this. <laughs> Audible takes 60% and then you and the narrator uh, get 20% each. Oh, so even, even split them between you and the narrator. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, that's not terrible. I always actually wondered how like buying with credits works for there. I assume if like they get money for the credit and then whatever your books listed at, they 
I don't know. Do, they, do you know anything about that? Like, do they pay out the amount of the credit or do they pay out the, the listed price of the book? They pay out to 20% on the listed price of the book. Okay. So then the credits are where it's at for authors, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it goes either way, I guess. But, you know, the whole credit thing is, you know, you're already paying $15, you know, for the month or whatever, and they give you the credits. You know, we also have a thing that you could do that's uh, probably the best way to make money on Audible is to do a bounty link where it's like, you know, here's my book. You know, if you sign up for Audible and you can get this book for free and then Audible will pay like 50 bucks and like you get like $25, you know, split between if you get 25, the narrator get 25 per sign up for Audible with, you know, if they get your book from there. So, so do you, when you do that, do you list it at like a really high price for a while? Like it's a $50 book. No, no, no. You don't, you, you can't choose your Audible price. Audible decides how much the book is worth. Oh, wow. So that's, they've really got a complete domination there. That is all them when it comes to the pricing of your book. You have no like input on how much your audio book costs. Amazon's really grabbing as much power as they can over <laughs> the people producing their their stock. So you have a, your own podcast there. Um, we've only got a few minutes left, so I figure we could we can ask you about that. What is your podcast about? What do you talk about? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at terrortracks.com slash listen. That's where you'll get all like my social media plus the podcast outlets and all of that. And Trax is T-R-A-X, right? With an X? Yes, T-R-A-X. The whole entire show is the first segment is usually talking about writing the publishing industry, basically what we did today, but, you know, I'm doing it by myself. And then the second um, chapter of the podcast is you will listen to a new audiobook chapter every week. So, you know, every, every season is a different story. In every episode, you get a new part. Oh, interesting. So you do like a serial book. Are you the one reading it? No, I have the one of my audio book guys do it. So like the audio audible version, you know, since I own the rights to it anyway, you know, we I just use that as segments to try to sell the audio books more or less. But because you're, if you're like listening to the book, you're like, you know what? I want to hear the next part right now. You'll just run to audible and go get it. <laughs> not have to wait a week to hear the next part of the serial so we've done two so far condemned was season one and ghost rider was season two and now we're about to do bring me a dream when season three rolls around later this month so let's go no we're not doing bring me a dream we're doing harvest the children this uh coming up this uh into this month so and then bring me a dream after that probably the most recent book you have out last week was which? Uh, the Last Ride. Okay. So, and they can find that on Amazon and Audible yet? or I'm going to probably read that for free because it's only two pages. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that one's 10 pages. That's right. That's the 10 page one, but it's not long enough to go on Audible. I don't want to bother a reader with that. I'll read it myself. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like the second chapter of the thing is just a serialized episode of, you know, dramatized audio. It's sort of like an audio drama. So you get a new episode every week of that. So first part is lesson. Second part is audio drama. And the third part is I review a Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, like in order. <laughs> Nice classic. Yeah. So basically from the beginning when I started doing this, I think I didn't start doing the reviews until like episode three of season one. So just if you're looking for that, you might want to skip a few episodes. For, well, you might not because you'll end up in the middle of condemned and not know what you're listening to. So <laughs> the point is, whenever I started that, I started with episode one of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I just went forward. Like I didn't pick episodes I liked. I just went, you know what? We're going to do this straight through. You know, episode one through episode whatever until the show is over, because, you know, you have to have good and bad episodes and 
I learned pretty hard that the first uh, first season was horrible. It was. I'm surprised it got renewed. It was terrible. Most of the bad episodes are in season one. This is on. Uh, are you afraid of the dark? You mean? Yeah, like so many bad episodes in the first season. Right. Yeah. No. I think a lot of things take a bit of time to get their stride. But season two wasn't much better. <laughs> well, I guess we'll keep that in mind. Uh, but yeah, we got to wrap this up because Steve actually just had to take off. So thanks for showing up. Uh, I guess you've plugged the things you you want to say. Is there anything else? you want to mention or are you good no i mean that's good just everybody go to terratracks.com slash listen l-i-s-t-e-n so you can see my social media or whatever listen to the show come scream at me on twitter because you don't like what i'm saying on there so i don't care <laughs> it's cool <laughs> yeah engagement is engagement i guess all right thanks for thanks for coming jack and uh hope to talk to you again all right man thank you I was going to say, uh, are you bougie enough that you're hiring a personal shopper these days? Actually, yeah, they, they do offer that service in I grocery forgot, stores. Yeah. So, yes, I, I do. <laughs> oh, my God.